Um, we're going to get our Bibles open. So if you've got one on your phone, great. If not, there are plenty in front of you, the red Bibles just in front. Uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 10, which you'll find on page 1144 in the red Bibles. So if you've been with us for recent weeks, you'll know that we're following a theme of, of looking at Jesus and who is this king. So the Jesus that we celebrate coming at Christmas, um, who is he? What does the Bible say about him? And in this passage, we're looking particularly at the second half, but we'll, we'll start from verse 10. So it says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, one another in what you say that there will be no divisions among you, but that you, you may perfectly um, united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through, through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So as I said, there's quite a lot in that passage. I'm going to focus particularly on the bit um, from verse 13 onwards, which in the Red Bibles talks about Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. And so that's kind of the, the attribute of Jesus that we're looking at today is about Jesus being wise and powerful, um, and particularly actually at the bit about him being wise. What does that mean for us? What did it mean then? What does it mean for us now? Um, and I don't know what you, your reaction is to that bit where it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise or the message of the cross is foolishness. Um, but that kind of jars with me. Um, I get a little bit defensive. I'm like, are we saying here that Christians are anti-intellectual? Are we saying that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not holy to, to try and seek knowledge in some way? Um, as 
Johnny unfortunately picked on me with my stamp um, failings. Thanks, Toby. Glad he was with me in that one. Um, I, yeah, I, I quite like learning. Um, and back at school, when I was down in Rachel's age, trying to pick my GCSEs and trying to pick my A-levels, um, I struggled actually to narrow down because I quite like learning lots of different things. Um, and I don't know if you identify with that, but I still, I still find myself I'm quite curious about stuff and I quite like learning. Um, and so the idea that um, Paul would suggest that God destroys the wisdom of the wise and it frustrates the intelligence of the intelligent, I'm like, what? How does that work? Um, you know, is it like Michael Gove and his quote from a few years ago about we've all had enough of experts? You know, is it that we all sort of stick our heads in the sand and don't listen to science or technology and, you know, blindly carry on with whatever we thought was right? Um, you know, and actually, was it popular in those days, um, the time that Paul was writing, um, to, to just have unfounded ideas and make things up? You know, what was that culture? Was that society um, far from intellectual? Um, and actually, that's not the case. Um, so Paul himself, if you don't know, was, was very learned. He studied under one of the top rabbis at the time, a guy called Gamaliel. Um, and you can pick up from his writing across the New Testament that he is he's an intelligent guy. He's got big thoughts and he unpacks deep ideas and he connects things from the scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, and the Corinthian church, which this letter is written to, um, was set in ancient Greece, as we now see it. Um, and actually that culture was very much one that prized intellectualism, prized um, sort of academic debate. Um, a lot of the philosophers that we still sort of look back to um, were of that time and of that place. Um, so very much they would have been people who would have prized intellectualism and logic. Um, so I don't think it's that Paul is saying that there is nothing about academia, logic, intelligence, that type of thing um, that is bad, but more that the message of Jesus on the cross goes against the conventional, predictable wisdom that we would expect to see. Um, I don't know if any of you studied at school classics. Um, I didn't, but, um, but I've, I've read some of it more recently. Um, and in the ancient Greeks, all the heroes and gods of the time, um, there was loads of them. They very much believed in them. It was part of their culture. And the majority of them, almost all, would have been of noble birth. So descended from gods in some form or other, they would have achieved great things. So they may have come from poverty, but they overcame to gain wisdom, to gain riches, to gain victory in battles, gain love and so on. Um, so the Corinthians in that culture, hearing the story of Jesus, the God of Christianity, would have gone, ah, I can see where this is going. I, I can recognize some of this, yeah. A guy who's very popular, he's preaching, lots of people are following him, uh, he's healing the sick. I mean, that's a bit unusual, but okay. Um, you know, he's coming into town on Palm Sunday with all the palm branches and everybody worshiping him. Well, I can see where that's going. It's obviously going to go on where he's going to overthrow um, the authorities and he's going to lead a rebellion and he's going to be crowned king. Fantastic. Good. That's where that story goes, doesn't it? That's the predictable ending. And of course, we know from the Bible that that's not at all the case. It doesn't follow the typical sort of story arc of heroes and gods. In fact, from that place of popularity, only a week later, Jesus was being crucified. He was being rejected. He'd been laughed at. He'd been humiliated, beaten, mocked, spat at and killed. That doesn't follow the normal, predictable way of things. That's an embarrassment. That's a failure. And all of those people who followed him were going, yeah, go on, Jesus. They've not gone. They've gone, oh, no, I always knew it was a load of rubbish. You wouldn't have caught me thinking that. 
They wanted to distance themselves from him because surely that was all a big mistake. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie 1917. Um, some of us in our missional community are, are, I think, possibly going to see it. We haven't decided. Uh, we're going to the cinema. And um, I, as far as I know, stories about spies going in behind enemy lines with a rescue mission to go and save people. Now, I don't know what's coming up in the story, but I'd be very surprised if it ended with everybody dying. Okay? Where the, mil- <laughs> the mission is a complete failure, and unfortunately, they all die. Because that's not how good stories go. There's an element of triumph, there's an element of celebration, of overcoming. Um, otherwise, it's just pointless. Um, or if you're familiar with the story uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, it's like the bit where Aslan, the lion, the king, is amassing this big army, going to overthrow the white witch, and everybody's getting very excited and practicing their sword fighting and whatever. Um, and then Aslan dies. And everybody's just horrified and hopeless and distraught and thinking, what? You know, how can this possibly be the plan? Everything's gone. It's got lost. Because there's no wisdom in that. There's no wisdom. There's no conventionality in the spies just dying. There's no conventionality in Aslan dying. And there's none expected in Jesus dying. It doesn't make sense to the Greeks and it doesn't really make sense to us. It's unpredictable. Now, if you know the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you'll know um, that Aslan actually comes back to life. And it turns out that his death was part of the plan all along. So, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Um, but, and, you know, it seems, it seems crazy, but his death was the only way, really, for the spell to be broken. And it is the same with Jesus' death on the cross. This crazy idea, this absurd idea, this, this idea that seems like foolishness, for God to be killed willingly is actually the plan of God because um, the savior, saving of the world depended on Jesus' death. Um, and only through his death and resurrection could our sin, sins be forgiven. Um, if, God, if Jesus had followed that sort of story arc of going on to be a traditional king and having an empire, we would still be without a savior. Because Jesus didn't come to take over the world militarily and follow that traditional wisdom. Um, He flipped it. He was unconventional, unpredictable, and doesn't submit to that because he came to save us. Um, And I think uh, the question then is, is what is his call to us? Um, It's not in this passage, but um, our response, I think, is summed up quite well in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, where Jesus says that he's calling us to, quote, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I remember back at university, we did this questionnaire where we videoed people who were answering the question of, you know, what's the meaning of life? What's the point of being here? And most people, I don't know what you'd expect if you went out in the street and asked people, um, there was was a lot of different answers, but along the lines of um, enjoying yourself, you know, seeing the most, being the most, being the best, being happy, um, the kind of things like live, laugh, love that you stick up on your living room wall, uh, Yes, we have it too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just having the best time. That's the idea. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, doing the most good might come into it. Um, but the idea about feeling better about ourselves and what we've managed to achieve while we're here. And to be honest, that is perfectly wise if this life is all there is. That's a completely natural, normal thing to think and want if, if God isn't around. Of course, you've got a limited amount of time. You want to make the most of it. 
Um, but that isn't what Jesus says. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Which is in no way a traditional, normal, conventional, predictable way to live. Um, about 10 years or so ago, I watched a movie called The Bucket List. don't know if you've ever seen it. It's actually quite good. Um, but basically it follows these two older men who meet in hospital getting cancer treatment. Um, and they write this list of what they want to do before they kick the bucket. Um, and, and one of them happens to be very rich, and so he bankrolls the whole thing, and they go off and they fly over the North Pole, and they go to the Great Wall of China, and they do a whole lot of fantastic stuff together, uh, which sounds very fun. Um, and so inspired by this movie, I decided I would write my own list um, 10 years ago or so. And, you know, you might think, I don't know, maybe some of you have written a bucket list of where you'd like to go or what you'd like to do. Um, what's predictable will depend very much on who you are. Um, depending how well you know me, you might be able to predict some of the things. I'll tell you a few that made the cut. Uh, I wanted to dye my hair pink, uh, which I have done, sadly, not today, but, but it has been. So take that one off. Uh, I wanted to go on some road trips. Always quite like that. John and I have been on a few. Um, wanted to go to Venice, ride a gondola. Um, wouldn't really recommend it, but, but you've done it, so yep. Uh, and I wanted to take some dance lessons, which again I've done. Still working on getting Johnny along with me sometime, but uh, uh, yeah. And so I've got this list of what I wanted to do, thought this would be great. Um, and actually, a little shortly afterwards I was praying and I felt God challenged me on this list. And I realized that, again, it made a lot of sense in terms of worldly wisdom. It made a lot of sense. Um, you know, if, if God wasn't in my life, it's totally the kind of thing I want to spend my time doing and so on. And I have a nice life that way. Um, but I felt God challenged me, you know, what, what the, he is actually here. He is in my life. What is the wise thing to do then? Um, and so his call to, quote, deny myself, take up my cross and follow him, puts a very different spin on what I see my life being. And so I rewrote my bucket list. I'm definitely not going to read all of it, but there's a, there's one of the snippets is that I decided I wanted to include God in all of my life. Um, and this is just the idea for me of including God in my everyday, so that in my everyday, I would be aware of him um, just in my normal, ordinary life. Um, and so that's one of the things I'd like to do. Um, I don't think it's something that I would take off in the same way if I go to Venice, tick, done. But it is something that as I look back on my life, I want to feel that I have included God in it. Um, but I've not got this idea that because I do that, God will make me rich and happy and successful. Um, that basically um, the, the worldly wisdom necessarily comes into that. Because I don't think Jesus goes by that worldly wisdom. I think in this, he destroys the wisdom of the wise. His life that he calls us to is not always predictable. His ways are not our ways. Um, so I'll give a more recent example. So a couple of years ago, Johnny was at the point in our old church uh, where we were looking for um, a, a job for him, basically. And so we, were, we decided, well, we'll have a think about um, where we might like to base ourselves. So we mentally thought about, okay, well, here's where parents are, here's where cousins are, here's where siblings are, here's where friends are, and so on, and sort of mapped out, right, roughly, where are people, where do we want to go? Um, and... It was about 100 miles north of Wickham. <laughs> so what's predictable and expected is that we'd probably look for a job up there. 
right? You know, closer to a lot of the people that we know. And the Chilterns are beautiful, and it is great down here. And it's a bit closer to London, which has perks too. Um, but, it, but it is a bit of a sacrifice, actually, to be away from some of the people that we know. And actually, as we came down together and uh, went to the interview, or Johnny did, um, there, was a, there was a very conscious thought between us of, okay, that's what mean, moving to this location means for us. That's the cost. Um, and actually, it wasn't, it wasn't something that we did because it necessarily made predictable sense that that's, of course, you'd move to Wickham. Well, that, no, that is a bit unpredictable, actually. Um, it doesn't seem to follow the sort of worldly wisdom idea. Um, but actually, we were doing it because we felt God had called us and we wanted to follow him, even though that at times will mean denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. Another idea, um, if I think back to when I was growing up, uh, my, my dad had a, had a good job. I was quite young at the time, um, but you know, we were pretty well off. Uh, my mum didn't have to work. We had nice holidays and cars or whatever, um, and things were going well. So what's predictable? What's, what's conventional? Well, you'd think, well, that would just continue, right? My dad might continue to make more money. He'd climb the ladder. My mum wouldn't have to work again, be a lady of leisure, um, maybe a holiday home. I mean, I, I don't know. It didn't happen. Um, because actually, as a family, we prayed and we said, okay, God, you know, what do you want us to do? Um, and we sought his wisdom. Um, and God told us, we believe, that actually my dad should leave his job um, and actually we should wait to hear from him on what to do next. Um, and it wasn't straightforward and it wasn't easy, um, but actually through it, we really saw God at work. Um, it was sacrificial, it was unpredictable, and it certainly didn't follow any path of worldly wisdom. Um, but actually, I think sometimes that is what God calls us to do. It could be in the small things, it could be in the big things. But actually, um, Jesus in his life didn't follow the story arc of what was expected of him. He didn't follow that progression of, of becoming successful. And actually, he didn't follow the cultural wisdom of, of looking for happiness and our own experiences. It's a very, very pervasive message that we have. Looks impressive, seems very logical, and we're surrounded by it all the time, that that's what life is about, our own personal fulfillment. And the way that Jesus calls us to, to deny ourselves, is costly. It is quite illogical to most people. And when you actually make a decision that puts him first, rather than your own happiness first, people don't understand it. So that's what I think it's getting at here, that destroying the wisdom of the wise, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. As it says in verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So there's a question for us to reflect on in that. It's this... When it comes to making decisions, big or small, which voice do we find the loudest? Is it the voice of culture, the wisdom of culture, telling us to pursue happiness and our own fulfillment? Or is it the wisdom of Jesus calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him? What's the personal challenge for you? Could be a particular decision in mind, could be one you've made recently, could be just something that's a value that you've assumed. Don't know. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to reflect on it. So the question is, when it comes to making decisions, 
What voice is the loudest? Is it the wisdom of culture telling us to pursue happiness? Or is it the wisdom of Jesus calling us to take up our cross and follow him? If you feel comfortable, um, it might be interesting to talk over with somebody near you, um, maybe in twos or threes. There's no pressure to share particular things. And I mean, it is something we all find difficult, so there's no judgment. Um, but yeah, maybe just discuss if there's anything particular you feel challenged on or reminded about as we've talked. Just. 